Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Hey everyone, this is Scott, your host. In following my own voice that calls to adventure, I recently traveled to the kingdom of Bhutan, the land of the Thunder Dragon and the last Shangri-La. Bhutan is a mystical and magical place high in the Himalayas, and it's known for its breathtaking nature, ecology, spirituality, and the happiness of its people. It's the only carbon negative country in the world, and it's known as one of the happiest places on earth. I joined Paralympic gold medalist Karen Dark on this journey, along with eight others, and it was the trip of a lifetime. The show you're about to hear is just one of a three-part series on Bhutan. In the first episode, we'll cover a recap of the trip from the participants' point of view and the transformations that took place. In part two, we'll dive deeper into the spirituality of Buddhism in Bhutan with His Holiness Kedrup Rinpoche, a reincarnated master. And in part three, we'll learn about the Bhutanese concept of gross national happiness used as a filter for governing through a focus on the happiness of the people over economics. I hope you'll join me for all three of these enlightening conversations. This is episode one of the series. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher. Today, I have with me several members of the group that traveled together so that we can share some of the journey with you all. Karen Dark, our visionary and leader, joins us from Mallorca, Spain, and you might remember her from episode seven. Karen is a gold medal winning Paralympic athlete, adventurer, and miner of what she calls inner gold. We also have Katie Oakley from London, England who recently transitioned from a successful career in international brand marketing. Katie has appeared before on this podcast as the moderator for episode 21 about my group climb of Mount Kilimanjaro. Last but certainly not least is Krishna Kumar, who works as a change management professional at TIAA in Charlotte, North Carolina. Krishna and his wife Krithika have been very close friends of mine for over 20 years and two of the greatest supporters of this show. Among the life-changing experiences that we all had in Bhutan was a deepening of relationships, and I am so honored to call each of these people close friends. Each of us had a strong desire to learn from this experience in Bhutan and bring back some of the lessons to our family, our friends, and our communities, and it's our hope that we can share some of that wisdom with you all today. Karen, Katie, Krishna, welcome to the campfire. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. (laughs) <laughs> man i just I, I don't know are you guys still on cloud nine from this from this trip you guys uh, you, are you still feeling it <laughs> every still bit of it. it every bit of it <laughs> i love it well um i thought we would just kind of start to for the purpose of the listeners to sort of recap um karen your vision because you were the leader this this whole trip was uh, inspired by you and i would love if you could just start by kind of sharing your vision for this trip and 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 how it kind of came together and 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 why did we travel to bhutan thanks so yeah i've long been fascinated with bhutan 
probably around the time I broke my back and became paralysed, I heard about the time. I had a connection then via the Royal Geographical Society in London. And I think maybe I came across it via, via them and just became really interested in this unique country that was so disconnected from the rest of the world, but maybe connected in many other ways that we aren't. Mm. I just got really interested in it. And so, you know, I've looked at going various times, but never quite figured it out or managed it or determined how to some, somehow. And then during lockdown, I a friend who knew I was fascinated by Bhutan sent me a link to a, an online talk by some people from the Bhutanese government, along with Matt DeSantis, who started My Bhutan with the um, the brother of the king mm -hmm. and so I had to go I set my alarm for like three in the morning got up well I didn't actually get up I just laid in bed and joined the zoom call from there and just had tingles through my body about Bhutan especially when Matt mentioned the desire to create some journeys that were as much about inner exploration as outer exploration and I suppose that just resonated with me my my journey through like all of us our journey through life is as much inner as it is outer but particularly through that that Paralympic those Paralympic years the gold medal I realized that the inner work was as if not more important than the you know the external work I was doing it was really about managing my state of um, my mental state my emotional state really kind of figuring out ways to optimize that so that my body could be in its best state and so I guess I went on my own journey with finding inner gold and realized that my maybe my base level of emotions was just increasing to a much higher state which felt incredible and really nice to experience I suppose when I was first paralyzed I experienced quite a lot of frustration or worry or depression or things that aren't so nice to experience and then gradually over the years I realized that I was experiencing more and more of these wonderful positive emotions like gratitude and appreciation and joy. And yeah, I just got, I just felt the need to connect with my Bhutan and create a journey. And so we did. We spent a couple of years designing something, having calls to and fro, waiting for COVID to unlock. And then at some point I kind of went, oh, actually, who's going to come on this trip? So that's where you came in, Scott, and managed to use your network and uh, friendships and, and gathered a wonderful group of people together. Yes, and it was an incredible group. And uh, and we're so lucky to have uh, Katie and Krishna here with us on the call now. So I guess um, this is kind of turn it to you guys. Um, Katie and Krishna, I'd really just love to hear what was it for you guys that led you to say yes? And uh, Krishna, let's start with you. Sure. Um... Gosh, where do I where do I start? Um, one, I looked at the itinerary and it was just this really, you know, it's not just a tourist visit. It's more adventure, spiritual, connecting with people, like you name it. That that's what interested me. I'd heard Karen in one of the other podcasts, and I was like, oh wow, if she's putting this together, I need to go. And last but not least, it was decision remorse. I remember, Scott, when you told me about Kilimanjaro, I hemmed and hawed about it, and I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice. So I immediately said yes and said, let's go with it. Yeah, well, it's and it's funny because I remember an event that we had like early on when I had first started the podcast. And um, Karen, you were episode seven, and and Krishna has been from day one a great, great, great supporter of this show. And I just remember you coming to an event, 
like shaking your head in disbelief because you had just listened to Karen's episode and you're like, wow. So when Karen, you know, offered the opportunity to go on this trip, like, first of all, I was just like, just incredibly honored, inspired. And I knew like Krishna got, Krishna needs to come on this trip. So yeah, I was super excited. Katie, how about you? For me, it, it was quite different. In, in some ways, it was quite straightforward because you sent, you invited me was the first mm -hmm. reason. And, you know, we're good friends, but we hadn't met in real life. So first of all, there's this, wow, we could meet in real life and we could meet in Bhutan. That's <laughs> exciting. And, yeah. But the main reason was, is I'm, I'm a great believer in synchronicity and things happen and things emerge. And when something drops, literally drops into your lap, it's really important to pay attention. And your email dropped into my lap literally when I just, I was literally coming, getting on a bus. I was just coming out of the funeral of a great friend of mine. And this very dear friend of mine is someone who always embraced life, always believed in saying yes, lived life to the full. And it was very interesting to me that I'm literally getting on the bus coming out of the ceremony. And here I have literally an invitation to embrace life so the itinerary the fact that karen was running it all were very fantastic but those things came later i said yes because you invited me and it came at exactly the right time and i th i knew i needed to say yes but i couldn't have particularly explained it at the time that's amazing the call to adventure came mm. yeah so you guys both mentioned the itinerary and uh and this this really was both an inner and an outer journey I'm, I am curious just to sort of like provide context for the listeners, like in the itinerary, some of the, the external aspects, what, what were the things that were really appealing to you in the itinerary? I'm intrigued to know as well, given I put the itinerary together, but I can, <laughs> I can maybe kick that off by saying that in developing it, obviously I'd never been to Bhutan, so I didn't really know what opportunities might exist or how, what, what might be options. Um, I think Matt understood really clearly as we developed it that I was really keen on exploring the, the kind of fabric of um, of compassion and of Buddhism and of spirituality. Um, so that became woven quite heavily into it. But there was the environmental aspect as well, the only carbon negative country in the world, um, sustainable tourism tax, the fact that 71%, I think, of the country is covered in forest. It's like, it's inspiring. And so that aspect felt important as well. Um, I, I sense that the, the emphasis on our journey was a little bit more on the spirituality side than than on the than on the others. That wasn't deliberate. It's how it seemed to transpire. But um, yeah, I, I maybe would have liked to have done. I mean, it was wonderful spending time in the forest doing a bit of forest bathing. But maybe it would have been wonderful to have had a little bit more deeper connection with some of the nature because it's just such an incredible place where I like the noises of the of the insects and and just the the sound of nature felt really profound but we maybe didn't enter as deeply into it as we might have done but some of that might be the challenge of my wheels as well it doesn't always make it easy to completely leave the beaten trail not that there is a beaten trail in Bhutan yeah. Well, well, speaking of the wheels, I mean, Krishna, like the cycling aspect, I'd love if you could kind of speak to that a little bit, because you just lit up on that trip uh, from the second that you got on a bike. And I just, again, for listeners, maybe some context and then your experience of of the cycling piece. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a cyclist. Uh, let's start with that. You were. And... <laughs> you were. <laughs> 
And you know, when I when the when I saw the itinerary and it said it will involve some cycling, I was like, okay, well, let me just train a little bit. And, you know, I trained a little bit, you know, a few miles here and there on the local greenways. And uh, I have to say, for me, the the aha was, I love the mountains. I love nature, and I wanted that reel to go slowly. And the best way to do it was not on a bus, but either walking or cycling. And, mm. you know, that, that's what got me hooked onto it. And every town we went to from starting from Paro to Punaka, you know, all the way to Bumtang, it was just looking at the various landscapes. You know, we, Karen, there was one part where we went through almost like it was like rainforests and it was, it was completely different terrain compared to some of the, drier lands in some of the areas. So it, it was just unique and soaking in that, you know, the smells and the sounds and just nature in general. There were times where every five minutes I just wanted to stop and take a picture or just stand and stare into the mountains. And, you know, there was a fear of losing my group. And then I'd be like, okay, let me just get on and just, you know, <laughs> internalize it and just keep moving. It was just amazing. It was just amazing. And what was the physical aspect like for you, Krish? I mean, like just again, for the listeners, like what kind of mileage, or I guess I should say kilometerage in that case, like did we, did we cover? I want to say, I think for me overall, I think we did something like 250 kilometers to 300 kilometers overall. But while on the surface, it might sound very little, it might, it was a lot of like up and down terrain. There were times mm -hmm. that we were in between first and third gears, just climbing up the hill. But I would say I was so engrossed in the experience and living and experiencing nature. Like the fatigue was just, didn't even come to mind. It was just like, I was just in a zone, I guess. And it, what made it even more interesting and joyful was every nook and corner that we went to, there were people that would come out and cheer for us. I mean, that was just amazing. You know, it was like we were like celebrities going through a town <laughs> every time and vehicles would slow down to let us go through. And only if there was a comfortable space for them to move around, they would, as opposed to how it is here. It's like, Let's try not, you know, bicycling in the city roads here, right? So there were a few times, Krishna. I remember being held up by a tractor in front of us, but, but the driver of the tractor was holding his mobile phone up with trying to video us behind it. That's why <laughs> exactly we were kind of stuck behind the tractors. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There was certainly some intrigue with your hand bike as well. Um, I think the, the, especially the kids just loved seeing you out there, Karen. And 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 on that, Chris, I, I want to ask you, like, what was it like to ride that kind of mileage halfway across the world with a Paralympic athlete, Karen Dark? Um, words cannot describe it. I saw you. I saw you stretching at various points, loosening up the, the backside <laughs> and the legs. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, I've I've trained I've trained for so many years that I forget that you know other people have never ridden before. It's we're waking up new muscles. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it definitely was that. It definitely was that. It was a it was a surreal experience, Scott. I mean, you know, just riding with Karen, just and you know that if 
it, it was one of those where like, okay, I'm riding with a Paralympic athlete, you know, I mean, someone who's done it day in and day out. And here I am. It's like, there's no reason for me to him and haw about this. I'm going to do this. And that, that was it. That was the motivation. And it was yeah. just, yeah, I, I mean, words cannot describe that experience. I, I have to tell you, it, it, it was it was just amazing and something that I'll never forget. And uh, I found the inner cyclist in myself. You did. <laughs> and and we, you know what? We saw it too. We saw it pop right out of your heart. And, and uh, it was really cool. Hey, everyone. It's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Katie, um, I want to kind of go to you and there's so many different um, really external factors that Bhutan offers. And what, what was most intriguing to you and what were some of the highlights for you? Well, for me, the intrigue was not at all to do with cycling, because mm -hmm. when Krishna says he's not a cyclist, I define not a cyclist like me, like <laughs> I don't get on a bike. <laughs> so one of the first things about the trip was that it was a very welcoming trip. So there was no pressure to you didn't have to cycle. You didn't have to do X, Y and Z. So it was a very open and welcoming trip in that in that respect. So I really liked the combination of the people, you know, the group the nature that Bhutan offers, that was a big pull to me, and just seeing the different sites, I guess. But I didn't really know, I sort of held back from researching it or really looking at it, because I knew it's a deeply spiritual country, and I wanted to just experience that rather than actually sort of go in, in that sense of, oh, I've been here too. Um, so it was the spirituality piece, the nature piece, um, and also I was very intrigued by Bhutan as, the country of happiness because mm. i've done a master's in positive psychology bhutan always comes up as part of that because they do measure gross national happiness and as we learned when we were there the whole idea you know the purpose of government is to promote its citizens happiness and wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the purpose of all governments you know so i was very intrigued into in the happiness aspect of it so those were the things that intrigued me and, and in many ways those were the, the highlights so being in nature just loved it loved the different aspects of nature because it's very it's full of mystery and magic from a natural point of view so you'll go from this beautiful sunny day and this beautiful landscape into cloud and cold and fog there are prayer flags everywhere so that adds to the magic you know temples and and you can just feel the sort of spirituality that runs through the landscape you're very close very high so you're close to the sky so you know you're close to the divine effectively in many ways so it's a very very magical experience from a nature point of view and then from a group point of view just being together we all got on you know super well and it was there was a lot of laughter there was a lot of fun you know the whole sort of seeing cyclists do their thing not cycling enjoying different aspects of it and it all come, came together brilliantly 
Yeah, it really did. I wonder if we can touch a little bit on just some of the sites that we've seen, um, some of the places that we visited. Um, and Katie, I'm, I'm going to stick with you on that. And if you just kind of highlight for our listeners, like some of the experiences that we got to to partake in along the way. Yeah, I think the the sort of the spiritual aspect of it was really key. So going to prayers with the nuns going to mm. the monastery, obviously playing football with the young monks highlights. That was amazing. <laughs> because that was just fun. But being in these places where um, spirituality is a daily practice and a way of life, and the way we were included and invited into that was very beautiful. And, and that was in a number of different places and different times. I think also the, the golden Buddha that people can see in pictures, I mean, it's so enormous. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. It's very beautiful and very striking, both from the inside and the outside. And then I think that the other highlight, obviously, was Tiger's Nest. And the, I think the surprise, not just of the, the actual climb up to it and the journey up to it, but when you get there, that actually it's a full-on working monastery and there are prayers going on, blessings going on. And, it, and it's just, it's, it was a very moving experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree. I think with with Tiger's Nest, I don't know about the rest of you guys. I I thought when we got to the top, it was going to be really more just of a structure, a historic structure that we were going to be, you know, touring, um, like from a museum standpoint. And that was not the case at all. Yeah. It, it really was a working monastery. Mm. Yeah. So, Katie, you touched on um, the concept of gross national happiness. And I thought that was really cool that you brought that up. And so, like, for all of you guys... How do you feel like is like, what do you think about this idea of gross national happiness? And like, are the people of Bhutan actually living this? Is this thing real? Well, from my perspective, yes, I felt it was. I felt it it was. But what I think that is because they have very clearly defined what that means. So they haven't just said, here's how, you know, we measure happiness. They've defined mm -hmm. what are the domains for that? What are the conditions for happiness that are appropriate and, and necessary for Bhutan? And then I think from that point of view, I think they are living it because they understand what it means for them. And I think from a, both at a governmental level and at a probably local level, they understand what needs to be done to increase happiness for citizens in Bhutan. So I would say, yes, they, they are. I know also that there are you know similar social problems that the rest of the world, we all have, but I feel there's, there's an effort and a focus and an, an awareness on it that's actually shown in the day-to-day -day lives of the people we met certainly building on what katie just said it, it's it's in their nature you know starting from our guides it wasn't like they were doing it as a job it was it was just from within and how well and how you know happy they were and how we were all just like a family everybody that we came across when we went to that farmhouse and stayed over there and how how good that experience was and it it was just like they were just having a, a family get together not just mm -hmm. a hotel that you stayed at right so every single experience that you went through you felt that it, it it's just in their nature and you build on it and it also comes with you know how beautiful it is around the country and the landscape and you know the the the, the spiritual aspect of it. And it, when you put all of that together, it's just, I mean, it comes naturally and you start to look within. 
Yeah. And Chris, you mentioned the farmhouse. Like, so for, for listeners, can I get you to just sort of take us back and, and kind of describe what that experience is like? And I want you to start right at the river's edge and how the guides presented it to us, because there was a little bit of excitement there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we we get in our bus and then we pull up on the side of a river and we're like, OK, why are we pulling up here? And then our guides pretty much say, well, there's the farmhouse on that end. And then literally there were there was a suspension bridge that you had to cross through the river across the river to get to that farmhouse it wasn't it was a very narrow probably like could fit two people side by side at the most and that's what you had to get across and the farmhouse was well up you know kind of you know past you know past the river just a little bit you know uphill but it I was like, okay, that's the farmhouse and that's where we're going to go to. Okay. <laughs> so that's a good start. And, you know, just, you know, walking across the river on that suspension bridge, I, you know, I, and the inner child came out in me. And I think at one point I started running through it. I don't know <laughs> what did. I was thinking, <laughs> but I did, but in just that, that farmhouse and, you know, the surroundings and the serenity, you know, was just amazing. And, you know, Karen and Katie, I mean, would welcome your thoughts, but it, it, it was just completely different. You know, it's not your traditional bed and breakfast like we would see in the modernized world. <laughs> I'm possibly slightly skewed because I've, I've had a lot of experiences of staying with people in remote areas and in nomadic tents and all sorts of things. But it was simple and it was... A surprise because suddenly we had to just kind of grab a toothbrush and a clean t-shirt and uh, that was it really and trek across the the bridge across the fields and it was just I always enjoy that kind of experience where you just really connected with the people it's very simple um I mean it, it you know obviously created all this kind of interesting dynamic between us about who's sleeping where and who's sharing who who snores and who's going to sleep in which bedroom because it wasn't enough for a room each or for even two in a room. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it just breaks down barriers and brings potentially brings up challenges and issues for people. But actually, with it, like it's been said, with our group, everything just was seemed really easy to navigate and always just felt really good and really fun. So <laughs> it was special. Katie, what was it like for you going across that suspension bridge? Well, it, it, as Krishna was talking, it just made me think of when, you know, when you're a kid and you told the story of the Wibbly Wobbly Bridge, and it was very much like going over the Wibbly Wobbly Bridge. And I'm not a great fan of Wibbly Wobbly Bridges, but it's like <laughs> we all made it. So we all made sure that everybody got to the other side, other side safely. And the homestay was just lovely. Like Karen says, it was very simple. They were so welcoming and, you know, wanting to share everything about Bhutan, their culture, how they live, all, all of this. You know, the food was amazing because simply it was so fresh and obviously the, the fish came from the river just there and and all of that. And it was just, I loved the simplicity of it. I loved that, the nature of it and just being being in nature, the fact that obviously, as Karen said, you know, we sh sorting out sharing rooms, all of those things that could be really complex sometimes when you have groups of people together were actually all really easy. It was just a really easy, lovely time. Yeah. I could maybe add something on just about around the happiness piece, um, because I became aware in the country that uh, we learned and we went to the Gross National Happiness Office or Centre that many people in Bhutan would never have heard of it. 
which was kind of a surprise because internationally that's what it's really well known for. But I also, so I'm sure that's true, um, but I also became, I kind of thought about my own experience or knowledge and psychology and how that all works. And if you're, if you're, if people plant a seed in your mind, so if the government's planting a seed that we're the happiest, you know, we're working on your happiness, it immediately takes your thoughts to happiness. And so just that simple programming, and I don't mean it's done intentionally this way, but perhaps as a side effect, the programming that Bhutan is known for gross national happiness, I think has to have a positive impact on the psychology of people. So even though it's not actually the happiest country in the world, I think that comes out as Denmark, um, mm -hmm. probably around standards of living and healthcare and all sorts of things. But um, And clearly there are problems in Bhutan and we, we encountered, encountered people that shared their stories with us of, of depression or alcoholism or problems just like they exist anywhere else. But I think what felt different was the, the level of, of kind of acceptance and compassion that lay beneath that towards everybody. So anyone who was experiencing that in a family or somebody they loved, it just felt like there was no judgment of it. It was really imbued with this sense of understanding and compassion. And I think that's what really struck me most is that if you live in a culture where that is just so deeply embedded that it's the it, on the whole a natural way, it's a pretty incredible place to live in. We maybe can't avoid problems or personal emotional challenges, but when that's the environment, the kind of uh, the agar gel, if you like, that's uh, beneath it all, it's pretty, I think it's incredible what, what can emerge from that. And just to build on that, I think also it, it comes deeply from the Buddhist roots of the country as well. You know, so it's not just, it doesn't feel like we've just adopted happiness as our policy. Mm -hmm. It's that sense of, you know, if Buddhism is that notion of wisdom and compassion in action, mm -hmm. then that's that's sort of where the happiness piece, I think, is rooted in. And and I think that's what you see in action, living out a lot of the time, is that wisdom and compassion in action equals yeah. happiness. So, let, so let's go there. So, so coupling the happiness with the Buddhist, the Buddhist religion, we had an unbelievable experience in Bhutan where we had the opportunity to spend a day and a half at a monastery and with Kedrup Rinpoche. And this was just an incredible experience. And I just wonder if you all could recap that a little bit. And let's talk about the, the young monks that were there at the monastery and the fun we had that first afternoon. Krishna, I want to start with you. If you could, if you could help kind of recap that experience for us a little bit. Sure. Um, with, with, with the young monks. Wow. I mean, it, they were just so amazing and starting with their little giggles, right? And you, you knew that they were up to some mischief or the other. And it, everyone that you went and approached and talked to, and, you know, Katie mentioned about playing football with them. And, you know, you, you just, you break the ice. Initially, they were shy and just kind of hiding, you know, just behind, you know, a post or something. And you had to get them out of their shell. And you wanted to get them comfortable to talk to you. And then once you got to talk to them, they were, they were just so open and they wanted to talk to you. And, you know, some of them wanted to hold your camera and start taking pictures and wanted to play football. And they were, you know, they were out playing carom over there. And there was, I kind of look at it and say it's, there was joy and simplicity. That's, that's what mm -hmm. I saw with, 
those young monks. And taking it a step further, those prayer sessions that we sat in with them and, you know, and Kedra Rinpoche spending, you know, taking time out of his busy schedule and spending time with us and the teaching sessions and what, you know, how great was that in this temple? I think it was, you know, built in the, you know, eighth or ninth century. And we, you know, we got to sit in on there early in the morning and just, you know, listen to his teachings and just it, the, the, the atmosphere that was there listening to the prayer sessions and engaging in it was just completely different. And they were so welcoming of us. We were not tourists. We were just, they treated us as part of their family and just, you know, it was great. Katie, what was the monastery like for you? Everything that Krishna said, and it was just very um, spacious in terms of, even though we were there for a day and a half, it felt longer than that in a really good way because it was sort of quite an expansive experience. And I was also struck by the fact, I think for the young monks as well, because there has been COVID, so they haven't really seen you know, people from the outside for a couple of years now. And it's like, it was really funny because there's that like being drawn towards these strange people you know and sort of like well because some of them were really young some of them you know were seven eight so if you imagine two years of their life is a good proportion of their life already so it was it was really interesting to sort of have that finding finding their way because this was a really unusual experience obviously for us but also for them too and that was it was delightful and it's it's that that how people come together how welcoming they were Yes, we were, as you say, not not tourists, certainly part of the family and and everybody was as interested in each other. And that was really magical. And and I don't I, I don't think we can downplay the fact that the monastery was up high in the mountains of Trongsa looking down over this absolutely breathtaking valley. And this is what they get to see every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I also had I also loved the way when we were leaving, because there's been a lot of rain. So they had to build, if you like, as we as we went down in the bus, they had to keep building and putting planks across various different puddles, large puddles, so we could drive out. And it was just a beautiful example of how, how they worked together. And one of them was saying to me before we left, he said, I'm sort of chief of departures. And um, yeah. he, he was chief of departures was about 15, you know, and he he got a special yellow sweatshirt and he was he was really at pains to make sure we will make sure you get out of here safely, which is quite funny because I wasn't even feeling unsafe when he told me that. And um, but it was really lovely to watch how they worked with the guides and the bus driver and everything to make sure that however dangerous the road was, we were going to be safely looked after. So it's very, very caring space. And Karen, what was the monastery experience like for you? I think even the fact, well, I always knew we would be going to the monastery, but even though I'd aspired to, for the group to meet with His Holiness, Kedrat Rinpoche, I didn't know that if that was actually going to happen. It was a very much a last minute surprise. I think his schedule changes so much in some ways. He's perhaps like the Dalai Lama of Bhutan. And so maybe he doesn't really know if he can make it until quite last minute. So it was incredibly special that we got to share time with him and that he made the effort as well to, after meeting us in the capital of Bhutan Timpu for a very long dinner. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, <laughs> is this part of, is this some kind of test on us? Because we've been sat here for four <laughs> hours with plates in front of us and the si signs of food, but nothing's come yet. 
Um, but it was a really special and long evening with him. I didn't expect that we would actually get to share more time with him in his monastery or I'm sure he doesn't call it his monastery, but in the monastery that he oversees. So it was great that he came and joined us there as well. I mean, the monastery for me, physically, it was it's a little bit challenging. And I suppose it's one of the things I noticed on this trip is that Bhutan is not wheelchair accessible. It's highly mountainous. There are steps everywhere. But in the past, I might have found that more difficult. And on this journey, I just didn't, it didn't affect me at all. I suppose part of that was the group and the fact that we had an incredible guide with us, Shring, who became, adopted me as his um, little baby that he carried around on his back in a, in a, in a grown-up's papoose. But he got me everywhere, really. And um, I mean, like you said, the position of the monastery is just incredible. You feel like you're just clinging to the high mountainside. So when you, as soon as you look out of a window or just step outside, you're just filled with this sense of reverence and awe at what you're looking at and where you are. You're just hanging in the heavens, really. So that was a big part of it. And then, obviously, the, the, the ability to just live with the monks and sort of integrate into what they were doing. And I'm sure we were, we were separated in many ways as well. But, you know, really, it felt like a very together experience being able to be there and play with them and just hang out in their world. Well, Karen, you said that Bhutan is not entirely wheelchair accessible, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I think the people of Bhutan might beg to differ. And I think that we need to talk just for a minute about our day to Tiger's Nest, which um, mm -hmm. Katie, you alluded to, and, um, and what that day was like. Because if you Google Bhutan and you go to images, you are sure to see a picture of the Tiger's Nest Monastery, which is nestled into the side of a cliff. And my Bhutan got you up there. <laughs> and I would love for you guys, um, if you can just help help paint a picture for the listeners of what that day was like and, and what the experience was like. I suppose maybe I can start. I've, I, so I've been up mountains before and it's there's, there's a pattern. <laughs> so clearly they're not accessible. I luckily don't overthink things or get too anxious about things. So I do my best to have the right equipment and to have kind of looked at possibilities beforehand. And that in this, on this occasion that you've also really helped with that. Thank you, Scott. Um, and then it's like, okay, you arrive at the bottom and you look, look up and you go, wow, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> is this possible? I suppose I've learned to train the curious mindset. So instead of being overwhelmed and freaked out by it is to go, okay, I wonder what will happen next. How might we do this? What's going to unfold? But my Bhutan had um, kept Shring on for an extra day so that he could be there. And really Shring said that he'd, he was driving the Jeep that carried all the bicycles. So his normal job is not to carry people on mountainsides. <laughs> but um yeah, he has said he decided the week before that he was going to, going to do everything he could to get me there. And then my Rutana contacted the Timpu Muscle Factory, a gym in the capital, um, about an hour away from Paro, where the Tigers Monastery is. And a team of five, I think, arrived from the gym. So one of those, luckily, was most of them were quite short and I'm quite tall. So that was interesting. It's like, mm, none of these can think about me because I'm too long and straggly. So the strongest and sort of tallest of the of the collection sort of did uh, worked in with Shring and the two of them pretty much piggybacked me most of the way there and all the way down. But it was, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible piece of teamwork. 
and the positivity just diffused through the whole thing. There was never any doubt. There was never any frustration or aggro. It was just smooth and seamless and fun and just a wonderful, wonderful day out. And I think when we got there to the monastery, um, I was maybe I was slightly misquoted in the national paper that we all cried. But I think essentially, I think all of us on some level were feeling really emotional. We, whether that physically manifested into tears or not, just the combination of having all of it all got there, me included, of what the experience we had when we got there, of all of the temples within the monastery being full of monks. And we didn't expect it to be such a, a living, working monastery full of chanting monks who are all, you know, seeking greater peace for everybody in the world. It's been amazing. So special day. Yeah. And Krishna, what was Tiger's Nest like for you? Uh, I go back to, you know, all your episodes where you talk about awe and it was just awe at looking at this little monastery or what it looked like from the bottom of the hill. And you went, I'm going to scale up to get there. And, you know, just the fact that it was a clear day because as we went up the, you know, the, went up the hill and through the stairs and everything one could tell if it was raining and if it was a bad day it was a hard climb so mm -hmm. we were lucky to have a really clear and beautiful day and then how lucky could we be that we went there on an auspicious day and there were monks chanting and we had the experience that we did of just listening to the prayers and Scott, you and I went up and lit the butter lamps and, you know, it, it was just an amazing experience. And it was something I was emotionally overwhelmed because it was right around the time that, you know, the anniversary of my father's death. And it was, it was like, I was doing it in his name and just lit the lamp for his, you know, soul to live forever. And, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, I was very overwhelmed and overcome with emotions and just just that experience was, uh, I, you know, not enough words to describe. Yeah. And Katie, how about you? Well, similarly, really, I think one thing that's important to mention that we learned very early on that Bhutan is flat and flat, the definition of flat in Bhutan is that. <laughs> <laughs> so, remember the first day, oh, you'll be riding on a flat service, and there was nothing flat about the school. So, uh, it's sort of, so on the, on the first day of the trip, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I'm now going to reorient my understanding of flat and high and steep and all of that. So, I think part of what, what sat behind the team who made sure that Karen got up there was this whole relativity of, of, commitment and what height means and sort of steepness and all of that they they just have see everything was possible and i love being around human beings who think everything is possible i know and it's it, that is very um i don't know it's very fulfilling it, it's sort of i don't know it, it fills your heart up i think so the the sort of journey up was just quite incredible and amazing and there is that sort of sense of when you look at it, when you're sort of whatever it is, halfway up or so, when you stop at the cafe and you kind of look at this, there's this little building clinging to a cliff and we're thinking, oh, we're going up there. How do we go up there? Well, we have to go down and then we have to go up. 
I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Let's go. So it was, it was just, um, it was wonderful to see how everyone worked together to get Karen up there. That was a sort of beauty of human endeavor and teamwork. It was beautiful up there. It's, you know, just very high. And, and there's something about, I think, that the sort of pureness of the air as well, that yeah. physically it, it sort of moves you into a different space. So the whole thing was very beautiful, very emotional, completely memorable, full of awe, and also just, you know, simple human togetherness, which is just great. That's a, that's a great, that's a great way to recap that day. And, and it was cool. You know, I think to some degree, we all kind of felt like Tiger's Nest was on the last day of our trip. And it almost kind of felt like the trip had sort of come to an end even before we got to Tiger's Nest, but there, that was just an unbelievable bit of icing on the cake. I mean, that was just such a great way to, to finish the trip. So let's go, let's go on the inside. Now we talked a lot about the, the outside adventure and some of the physical things and the, and the scenes that we got to see. And we did touch a lot on the spirituality and some of the experiences that we had, but you know, Karen's vision for this was, this was a quest 79 adventure um, centered around finding inner gold. So my question is, what inner gold did each of you guys find on this trip? So the question arises, what is inner gold? So I don't have an answer to that, but from, I think it's anything which feels like when we find it, it's something that adds a level of richness and value and happiness to our life, um, which helps us, you know, elevate our state of peace and happiness in the world. And so... Um, I had, there were a few things which I come away with and I guess it's still integrating because it's not so long since we got back, but mm. one of the big ones is just that experience of, of being in a group of people. So the group of 10 of us with our guides and in a country where it just felt like, and I know it's been said already, but compassion was just so huge. And that's not something easily experienced in, in regular environments that I've lived in. There's usually some frustration or some anger or some judgment and attack going on, or, you know, it could be something. And it just felt like even when even the slightest thing arose that might have caused some kind of um, tension or uh, friction, it was almost just like it dissolved itself. Everyone just, it, And it was so special to be, a part of that, that it really gave me vision and hope that more of that is possible for the world, to be honest, because, you know, where else do wars and conflicts come from if they don't come from individual emotions? So that experience was really profound for me. And I, I've come back into the world, I feel like it's, in, it's kind of embedded itself in me. And I, I feel a greater level of compassion than I might have done. And that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, that maybe sums it up, actually. I think some of this, as Karen said, we're still integrating it. It's quite hard to put into words. Um, but if I, I'll make an attempt um, just to build on what Karen was saying, really, that so what is inner gold? And I think sometimes inner gold is are the pieces of you you can't see. Mm. And you often don't know what your gold is. And if you think about gold as an, as an element or a metal, it sometimes might be something that 
you can't see it and often even if you saw it you probably didn't realize it's something that shines out so i think uh, there was a, there were many times in the group when someone would say something to someone that was they had seen that person's inner gold and they named that inner gold for the person so and that, there was a lot of that and so it was very beautiful and i think sometimes you can only do that in groups because you may not see it one-to-one -one. so i think there was there was quite a lot of exchange about people seeing other people's inner gold and then being inspired by the inner gold of others and then their own inner gold was reflected back through the behavior of others i don't know if that makes sense but it it's like this 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 crucible has been created where inner gold is going to come out and it's it was manifested in the compassion it was manifested in the open hearts it was manifested in the care and love that everybody had towards each other there were lots and lots of examples of it but i think that the for me the the point about inner gold is it's what you can't see and if you're lucky enough to be in a forum where people will show it where it just shines out because, because it's part of who we are naturally and we don't see it so then when you it is shown to you then it makes it more obvious to you as to how your talents can be used in the world when you come home and those talents can be anything from you know how you cook a meal through to anything you can create and anything in between but to me that's what inner gold is and there were so many there were so many examples of it. I think it's I think it's an incredible observation and and just spot on. There there were so many examples of that. Mm. Yeah, and and Karen and Katie hit on a lot of those points that I keep thinking about, which is we all fed off of each other to mm. find that inner gold. There were little nuggets in every conversation, every interaction that you looked at yourself and you went, hmm, I could do that too. Oh, that's how I am, or that's how I should be, or that's how I could act, or that's how I could engage, right? And it goes back to, like, in your day-to-day -day world, you're always constrained with, oh, well, I can't do this because of, you know, some constraint. No, you let, you know, my, my goal with this trip was letting it go, and that was it. If you let it go... There is a lot of what you can find with your inner gold and your you know, inner self. And that's that's what it was. It, it, it was just and I know over the course of this conversation, we have talked about the compassion that we built with the group of people that we went with, as well as our guides. And it feels like we have we all knew each other for years on out, but we all met on the flight to Bhutan from Bangkok. That was the first time that we all met. So it was, yeah, it, it's, it was amazing. It was amazing. It really was. So Karen, bringing it back to you and your vision for this trip, I, I just want to ask, how do you feel like the trip itself aligned with your vision that you had all those years ago? There's not really any words. I mean, you know, we, we have a vision um i did go into a little bit like i, I use visualization anyway as part of a process in life and so i knew how i wanted to feel and how i wanted the group to feel and really hoped it would be an incredible journey and it was all of those things and more i think so 
I was really, really mindful um, because for years I've worked, for example, facilitating leadership journeys or personal journeys for people, but not physically on a moving journey in, uh, in another country, like an adventure. And so there's two elements to that that I was slightly worried about. One was the fact that I can't walk and the impact of that on those around me, because sometimes that has people just it creates reactions and responses which uh you know i never know what they're going to be or how that's going to go and the other was my own level of stress or anxiety around holding the group or somehow feeling responsible or enabling the journey and i felt so relaxed and didn't feel any stress with anything or any anxiety around any of that and i think that was wonderful it's what i had started to notice in the weeks leading up to leaving and really didn't want to step into that space of taking on any anxiety around it. Um, and it, it was perfect. I think the group was just so special and the dynamics enabled that. So I was like, I felt like I could just be me in the group as well as uh, just in you know, the fact that I'd organized it was kind of by the by really. So perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to take the take the time to say thank you for the vision and for bringing us all along on the adventure because it was it was truly a life changing experience and uh, you know and I think we all the four of us speak for everybody that was on that trip and uh, we're just super grateful to My Bhutan for putting together such a customized experience. Our guides were incredible and I just couldn't say enough great things about it. Now, as we wrap up here. Um, Karen, you've been on the podcast before, but I have a, a question, and, and Katie, you have too, but you skirted the question last time, so uh, on a technicality. So so I want to finish with uh, just a couple of fun questions, because this was an epic adventure, and at some point, Hollywood is going to put a cast, of, it's going to be like Ocean's Eleven, it'll be like Bhutan's Ten, or Tiger's Nest's Ten, something like that, right? But there's going to be this cast of characters that are going to be in this incredible movie about our experience to Bhutan. And Katie, I want to start with you. Who's going to be the actress that's going to play you in this movie? Emma Thompson, of course. Great British actor. Oh, <laughs> Emma Thompson. Okay. All right. And, and if you get to decide, what's the, what's the movie going to be called? Well, I didn't know the answer to the question um, before the podcast. So I kind of, I knew something was going to emerge. So I just trusted it would. And thanks to Karen, it did. I would call it Hanging Out in the Heavens. Oh, wow. Hanging out in the heavens. I love that. All right, Krishna, your turn. Who's going to be the actor that's going to play you in the movie? So the actor would be comedian Aziz Ansari, given the nice. goofy yeah. side of me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of names, but I'll give you the, the, the comical one. It would be Scott and Kumar go to Tiger's Nest. <laughs> <laughs> great i love that's it. the comical one but the other one that i thought would be really good it's literally the inward eye oh there's a lot wow. that you see with the outward eye but there's like a lot it. that you gain yeah i have the tiger comes to mind as well inward eye yes. tiger tiger <laughs> dragon i don't know yep. uh. <laughs> That was good. I'm, I'm sitting with that one for a minute. The inward eye. I love that. Well, you guys, I mean, this trip was just so epic. I was, I just feel so grateful to have been able to spend the time with you guys and the, the relationships have deepened. I mean, I, my sense is we could probably talk for another couple of hours. Um, but uh, I think it's probably time that we wrap it up here. And I do want to just say to the, those listening that I hope you have been inspired today as much as I have. 
I hope that this Bhutan experience has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you all for listening. Katie, Karen, Krishna, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for all coming to Bhutan. Oh, it was a real pleasure. It was awesome. Again.